Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. So we're going to talk this morning particularly about work, about work. And I want to ask the question, who is it that you are working for? Now, on a really basic level, that's an easy question to answer. You might be working for somebody in Microsoft. You might be working for somebody in Tesco's. You might be working for somebody at Reading Buses. You might be working for uh, your children as you uh, pack their pack lunches and send them off to school. You might be working for your spouse as you uh, face uh, each day of retirement, uh, doing whatever they uh, need to do and keeping them uh, happy or helping them to keep you happy. Or whatever it is that you're doing, I'm sure your uh, day-to-day life, you can easily uh, describe who it is that you are working for. But we're going to go a little bit deeper. And I'm going to ask you again who it is that you're working for. For. Because on that basic level, I don't know about you, but I find myself really easily caught up in the pursuit of purpose, the pursuit of what it is that I should be doing with my life. I've done like 20 years of uh, work as a grown up now, and uh, I find, you know, I get a job probably about a week in, maybe two weeks in, I'm thinking, is this the right job for me to be doing? Is this the thing that I should be doing with my life right now? Is this the thing I'm really loving and enjoying and should push into? Or should I find something else? And I'm on the internet, I'm in the papers, I'm looking for the next experience, the next job, the next pursuit. And so often we read the Bible and we see the great leaders, the great prophets, the great teachers, the great apostles And we see them doing huge, life-changing things. Finding that big job, that big country to lead, that people to lead. Doing those things that seem to make so much impact. And we can look at our own ordinary lives with our ordinary, run-of-the-mill, reading jobs. And for me, I go, oh, I should be doing so much more. And for others... And I've had this discussion with people where I've said, it feels like I should be doing more. And they go, yeah, but I feel stressed out of the idea of doing more. It feels like a pressure on me to do more. But then we got to ask this question, who is it that we're doing it for? Because I believe that that's where our purpose lies. It's not in what we're doing, but who we're doing it for. So let's have a look at this passage from Ruth and see just that in what seemingly an ordinary pursuit who she's doing it for we heard last week as Annie spoke about uh, Ruth's extravagant love that Ruth pursued God she went after Naomi even though she didn't need to didn't have to but she followed Naomi and she followed Naomi's God because they were in a foreign land and Naomi was uh, returning to the people of Israel. And Ruth went with her. And it says specifically she went and followed Naomi's God as well, which is our God. In verse 2 of chapter 2, we just read, heard read to us uh, today. Ruth 
uh, well, in fact, let's get verse one we'll start off with. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now we're introduced to Boaz here as a man uh, from the clan of Elimelech. We're seeing already that as Naomi is, as Ruth is pursuing God, God is putting in her place, in her line where she's arriving, the people of Israel, the people of God with hearts after God. So here is a man, God is in control already, even though Ruth has no idea. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And she went out and began to glean the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was, again, they mention the author from the clan of Elimelech. So twice we've got this real reference to it being that God is in this in some way. But we see that she went out to do this gleaning. And I'll just quickly take you aside to uh, skim back to Leviticus, which years and years before Ruth had this experience, God was already setting stuff up. Leviticus 19, the law that was set out, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. God is setting in motion something that's going to help Ruth even now. And then this, which is my favourite line in this whole chapter. Verse 3. As it turned out. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out. She just stumbled into this thing. She was after her daily bread. You see, Ruth is asking for nothing more than what she needs. She's pursuing at Naomi because she knows that Naomi needs love she needs a companion and she's pursuing her daily bread it's what we're called to ask for and need from God and God is pouring out blessing without her even realising that she turns up to glean those fields as it turns out she's working for Boaz who we read and will read more goes on to make her story so much more I think there's a call to us here, isn't there? Are we brave enough to do what Ruth did? Are we brave enough to do what's in front of us and hand over our uh, purpose, hand over our meaning, hand over our identity into the hands of God? Give us our daily bread, as we're told to pray, and God will do the rest. There's a really interesting story I heard recently from a pastor in America, a guy called Craig Grishel. Now, he leads a church called Life Church, which is huge. On a Sunday, they have 700 services across various different campuses in the part of America where they are. So it's a massive, great big church. But just about 20, 20, 25 years ago, Craig was at university. 
And Craig had grown up in a kind of Christian household, but for him, he hadn't given his life to the Lord. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a thing. And he joined a fraternity at university. And this fraternity, they did, you know, things that fraternities do. Group of guys all together doing blokey stuff. And he looked around and he said, uh, what are the other fraternities doing? We should do a bit of that. And other fraternities were doing Bible studies. So he said to his mates, he said, why don't we do a Bible study? And they went, okay then, that's fine, we'll do that. He said, well, come down to mine, like Tuesday evening, uh, we'll do the Bible study. So it comes around to the evening, he's got some drinks, some snacks, he's got his room sort of vaguely tidy, ready to go. And then he realises that he hasn't got the one thing he needs, which is a Bible. And so he stands in his room, kind of basically what you'd call, and he would have called himself then not a Christian. And he stands in his room and he says, God, if you were there, if you were real, I need a Bible. That's a crazy prayer, isn't it, really? But then moments later, a knock at the door. He opens it up. It's a guy from a group called the Gideons. And he says, hi, would you like this Bible? And he gives him a New Testament and Psalms. Now, the Gideons, uh, for those of you who don't know, are an amazing group of people who have this passion for giving out God's word. And they go all over the world. There are, you'll find Gideons giving out uh, Bibles, particularly to university campuses, in prisons, leaving them in hotels for people. And so this guy gave Craig this Bible. Craig said, thanks very much, shut the door. They had the Bible study. Craig got his Bible. His mates had got the Bibles. And they did a bit of a Bible study and then they all went. But Craig carried on reading that Bible. And he read it all. And in that Bible, he found the truth. He found the call of Jesus on his life. And he gave his life to the Lord. And over the coming years, he planted a church that grew and grew and grew. And in 2008, they were, one of the guys working in his church came up to him and he said, Hey, Craig, do you know what? There's these new things that have come out. They're called iPhones. I think they're going to be big. Just a prediction. He said, they've got on them these apps. Now, I reckon we should do something with the apps. And Craig went, like what? He said, we should do a Bible app. And he said, well, let's do it. So they put a bit of cash into it, built this Bible app. They were hoping in the first week to have about 10,000 downloads. In fact, they'd had more like 100,000 downloads in the first week. And right now, 2020, they've had something in the region of 44 million downloads on that Bible app. That one Bible that was given by that Gideon, a chap from the Gideons, multiplied into 44 million Bibles. And I can imagine him going around the university campus, giving out Bible after Bible, And the disappointment and dismay in his heart as he hands one over and immediately sees a page ripped out and turned into a roll-up cigarette. Or another page or two or three or four ripped out and screwed up and playing some flicking paper across the room kind of game that students play. But yet he carried on doing that work in that place where he found himself. He didn't pursue Craig and say, you've got to start a church and you've got to do this Bible app. He just played his part in it. And from that one act, the world has been changed as scripture is in hands across this world. As it turned out. 
It took 20 years before that guy found out what had actually happened. Craig tracked him down and told him. He'd pursued what was in front of him for work, but he'd done it with a heart for God. And God did the work with what he had offered, with what he'd brought. He didn't make it happen. He didn't posture himself towards it. The act of changing the world through the Bible, although that would have been absolutely his dream. That's what he was trying to do, but he was doing the thing in front of him. You see, again, it's not about what we do, but about who we do it for. As we posture our acts of work towards God, he can do so much more. But are we prepared to do the ordinary if that's what God wants us to do? Are we prepared to glean the fields like Ruth or just hand out Bibles to people who seem disappointed or do our job in IT or in a supermarket but with love? Are we doing our work as if working for God? I think there's a really exciting promise that comes. You know, we're seeing at this unveiled to Ruth and she's no idea what's happening. She's no idea that God's in it. And it says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. Goes on about him finding out who this woman Ruth is. And in verse eight, he says, Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay and stay here with my servant girls. He promises to protect her. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland is what we heard about last week, isn't it? And came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May you be richly rewarded. There's the words of Boaz, who went on to be her uh, salvation, her saviour, to to pull her out of this place, to marry her. And they had children who went on to have grandchildren who were King David and their great, great, great grandchildren were Jesus. They were part of an amazing story. But those words could just as well be for us, from Jesus himself. That God has seen what you have done. He sees what's in the heart and he rewards that. Because we read so much, don't we, in the words of Jesus. The call on our lives, again, is not about what you do, but who you do it for. He challenges the Pharisees who are doing all the right things, very publicly doing the right things. He says, but who's your heart for? Are you loving the lost and the broken? The rich young ruler who made so much money and he challenges him to sell everything. Because it's not about the outward success. It's not about the thing that you're doing so much as who you're working 
four. It's been really encouraging for me. Uh, just in the last couple of days, I've been involved in writing some of the articles for the next One Family magazine that uh, comes out in September. I've been contacting some folks from around the church, talking to them about what they do for their work and where they see God in it. And to hear story after story of people living Christ's love in their place of work. Just little friendly chats, smiles and warm words when people are feeling sad. Pastoring people, speaking to people, praying for people in our workplaces and in our day-to-day life. Because whatever you do for your work, whether you're the prime minister or whether you're cleaning the prime minister's toilet, God cares passionately about who you are working for. And he's calling you to work for him. He's calling you to give your purpose, your meaning, your identity back to him. To be rooted in him, not in what you do. Not in what people see you doing. But in the work of living as Jesus on this earth. We are the body of Christ, us as a church together. So we're not doing this alone. We're not in isolation. Our identity is not our own. Our identity is found in Jesus as a body. So when you're in the office or in the back bedroom, as most of us are right now, or in the hospital or driving the bus or uh, packing the kids' lunches or whatever it is that you're doing, know that above all else, God sees your heart. And he's calling you forward in that. If you want to pursue the greatest purpose, then pursue what we heard last week, that purpose of love. Ask God, give us today our daily bread and then let him do the rest. It's not about what you do, but who you're working for. And let's make sure this week, We're working for God.